We appreciate Heather's story. Uh, it's just a reminder that, that we go through difficult things, we go through hard things, we, we can even suffer, and that that also happens even as believers. Uh, God has not promised that He will take suffering away. And, and then that leads us to a question. It's maybe one of the biggest questions of our time, and that is simply this. When we're talking to people about God, they, they, it many times comes down to this. If God is all-powerful and God is all-loving, then how can good people suffer or how can innocent people suffer, like children suffer? How can that happen if God's all-powerful and can control everything and He loves us, He's good, and He wants good for us? And so balancing that is one of the huge questions of the age. And really, the book of Job sheds a lot of insight on the issue of suffering and, and what that means to us, how we should deal with it, how we should help others through it. And, uh, and that's what we're looking at today. And remember, I want to just recap uh, what we've learned so far. And that is that um, we started two weeks ago, we opened up Job chapter 1 and and Job is described as a man who's upright and blameless, who fears God and, and shuns evil, turns away from evil. And even God says he has that kind of a reputation. But then uh, Satan shows up before God, and Satan sort of challenges God. And, but God brings uh, Job up and says, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And then and, and that... And then God sort of brags on how Job is upright, how Job's a good man. And then Satan responds to that by saying, well, sure, look, look what you've done for him. You've made him rich. You've blessed everything he's done. And even better than being rich, he has a great family. Look what you've done to him. If you took those things away, he would curse you to your face. And then Tim was telling us last week how that's exactly what happened. Um, all those things were removed. Uh, God allowed Satan to do that, just didn't allow Satan to do anything to Job. And so in one day, Job lost his entire, all of his wealth. Everything was wiped out. And more tragically, he lost all of his kids, 10 children, all killed on the same day, the worst day of his life. And at the end of that day, Job still worshipped God, still kept his integrity. And even though suffering's inevitable here, Job had more than his share, a day worse than any of us has experienced, and then things get worse. And that's what we want to talk about in Job chapter 2. Satan reappears uh, before God, and again, we have this uh, two pictures going on. Job doesn't know anything about what's happening in heaven. He's just living out his life, and these terrible things have happened to him. And so there was like a, you know, God said Job would remain faithful. Satan said he wouldn't, but he did remain faithful. And then Satan shows up before God again, all his holy angels show up. Satan shows up too. Satan is a created being, a fallen angel, an angel who rebelled against God and we think took a third of the heavenly host with him in that rebellion. 
And he's the accuser. Actually, it, there's a, an article every time the word Satan appears in this chapter, the Satan, or in Hebrew, the Satan. Uh, Satan, he's accusing believers. But God limits his power. But again, God mentions to Satan, God brings up Job again. And again, Job doesn't know anything what's happened to heaven. All he knows is he's going through a terrible time. And we're going to pick it up in Job chapter 2, verse 1. And you'll find that in page uh, 519 if you're using the Bible from the chair rack in front of you. But here's what it says. Again, there was a day. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Then Satan said to the Lord, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. At that point, we're like, whoa, okay, this is deja vu, right? All over again. This has already happened in chapter one. It's happening again. Verse three, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there was no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has he'll give for his life. However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh. He'll curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a pot sheared and to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. So here again, the accuser is accusing Job. I, I don't know if you've ever been falsely accused. That ever happened to anybody? I, 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 the story that came up in my mind is, is I was living on a Navy base in, in Rhode Island when I was a kid. It went to elementary school and I showed up. I'm the new kid and I make a friend on the playground and as we're talking, we, somehow we got on the issue of colors or what color this was or that was. And then he told me, I'm colorblind. Well, I'd never heard of that. So I think he's just kidding. So I'm like, yeah, right. No, no, really, I'm colorblind. And some other kids kind of heard and they're like, no, this is a real thing. And they're kind of explaining it to me. And I'm kind of having a hard time believing it. But as more and more kids join in, you know, I'm buying it. Unfortunately, this kid had a friend who was a bigger kid who was sort of a, you know, kind of like a bully, kind of a tough guy in the class or whatever. And he heard all this. And so he came over and he turns to me and says, you're making fun of my friend. And I'm like, no, I'm not really making fun of your friend. I'm just trying to figure out what's going on. I never heard of this before. And he's like, no, you're making fun of my friend. And he starts pushing me, shoving me across the playground. Well, you know, about the third shove or whatever. We're in a fight. And next thing I, and by the way, I am totally outclassed here. I don't stand a chance, but you know, you're being shoved all over. What difference does it make? But anyway, he throws me into a chain link fence and this particular fence was broken. It had a barb sticking out of it. And that barb caught me right below my eyebrow and opened me up. So, you know, it just luckily didn't get my eye. And I'm bleeding. And I'm, so it bleeds down through my eye. I can't see through that eye. 
And, but you know, it's not really hurting that bad. And some kids come up and they're like, hey, you need to go tell a teacher. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm not going to tell a teacher. I got in a fight. And they're like, no, you're bleeding all over our playground. You need to go tell a teacher. And so I go, you know, and the teacher's facing the other way. I kind of pull on her shirt and she turns around. She's like, yeah, because I apparently by then I have blood all over the side of one side of my face. And that kind of freaked me out a little bit, you know, because she's like that. But then they take me, clean me up. I realize I can see out of my eye and everything's good. And then they call my mom. My mom comes and gets me. And then we go get stitches. And then I have to lay there and look at the doctor while he takes a needle and stitches below. And I have like a fear of needles near my eye to this day. So I don't know what your excuse is, but that's my excuse. You know, I didn't like that. You know, sometimes we're just accused of something. like, no, I'm innocent. I didn't really do that. But we kind of pay the price anyway. That's what's happening here to Job. Job trusted God with a pure heart, not for the blessings that he received, which is what Satan was accusing him of. And Satan was wrong about Job. So next time Satan's around God, he doesn't acknowledge that, hey, God was right. I'm, and have you ever had an argument with somebody? And then there, you have something, you come up, you agree to a test to see who's going to be right. And then the test goes your way. And then they don't even admit it. They just say, they come up with another test, right? They move the goalposts. Oh, you, you scored? Well, let's move the goalposts over here. That's what Satan's doing. And he's moving the goalposts. He's saying, well, 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 that's because you haven't done anything to his body yet. And so that's what's going on. And Excuse me. Of course, God was right and Satan was shown to be wrong. But uh, Satan continues to say, hey, Job's faith, you're, you're talking about how great of a guy Job is. Job, his faith, he's just doing that for what he gets out of his relationship with you. He just, he just follows you because of how you bless him. That's the only, it's not because of you, it's really for him. It's a ploy to purchase his well-being. And then Satan says, skin for skin. Skin for skin. Sure, he'll do anything to protect his own hide. He'll do anything to protect himself, even if his loved ones are destroyed, as long as he's okay, as long as he's physically not challenged. If he's not suffering, then it's all okay. He'll trade it all for his own well-being. That's what he's saying. And he accuses Job of selfishness. He's just protecting his own hide. And he believes that if Job is severely afflicted enough physically, that Job would turn against God, curse God to his face. Always accusing. That's Satan. That's Satan in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I know a lot of you, a lot of us as believers, we, we think, hey, I don't want to have any enemies. You know, I just want to live my life and I don't want to, and I, I want to get through life and not have any enemies. I'm telling you, you have an enemy. If you're a believer, you have an enemy. If you're not a believer, you have an enemy. And if you live like a believer, you're going to have more enemies. That's just the way it is. Satan is our accuser. And here the contest between God and Satan over Job's integrity intensifies now to a new level. 
And Job, who's lost all of his wealth in one day, and as I said, more tragically, his family, now it gets even worse. Job's suffering increases even more. So even though God rejects Satan's reasoning, he allows Satan to inflict this suffering onto Job, although he still limits him that he couldn't take his life. But God's confidence in Job continues. And without a moment's delay, Satan is all over Job. And he inflicts him, and we don't know exactly, we can't really tell from the text exactly the malady or how many things are affecting Job, but he ends up with painful boils from the top of his head to the sole of his feet. And so he's in agony. Now, we don't know what that is, but through the entire book of Job, Job and his friends keep referring back to some of the things that, that Job is suffering with physically. And so there's a list of them that you can get out of the book. So I just want to read a description of what Job is suffering with. It says this, itching, disfiguration, discharging of pus-filled sores that scabbed over, cracked, and oozed, sores infected with worms, fever with chills, darkening and shriveling of his skin, eyes swollen and weeping, diarrhea, sleeplessness and delirium, choking, foul breath, emaciation, excruciating pain in his whole body. And some of you go, that's how I woke up this morning. Yeah, I felt just like that. It was early. Yeah, he's suffering like we don't understand what suffering is. And the question is, how would you react? How would you react if you lost everything, and when it came to your family, you sort of lost everyone, and then you suffered physically? How would you react? How would you handle that? You know, and, and by the way, we're talking about this, and I understand some of you are suffering like this now. Maybe not quite to this extent, but you're suffering physically. And we have Lynn Sawyer back there, first time back, who's struggling with cancer. We have several of our people, don't mob her, by the way. She's just back there. She's, she, I think she was going to remain anonymous. I didn't do that. All right. Anyway, whoops. Uh, people are suffering all the time. And the question is, how are you going to respond to God when things go bad? Because the text here tells us what happens to Job. Job is like totally humbled by all this. And the text says he leaves the city. He, he's kind of a rancher guy, but he actually lives in a, in a village. He goes outside the village walls. He goes to the trash dump where they burn all the trash. He sits down in the ashes of the trash dump, and then he picks up a broken piece of pottery that's sharp, and he starts scraping the pus-filled boils off of his body, head to toe, scraping them off. Maybe to get some relief from the itching or just to get rid of them. He's just scraping them off. It's bleeding. He's sitting there in ashes, I mean, he is in a world of hurts. I don't know if you've ever hurt like that. I remember once when I was at a, a Bible college. I'd graduated from college and went to this uh, state university, went to this Bible college in, 
in Missouri. And while I was there, just one year, uh, I was working in the evenings, and I was working in a cramped banking office that was actually in a grocery store, and it was just kind of a tight fit, and I reached behind me. You know how you just do something simple, and it causes you pain? I reached behind me, and I popped a rib out of joint, and that hurt, and I couldn't breathe. I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything, and so I, I went to my car. It was closing time. Got myself laid down at my dorm, and I'm just hurting. I can't. There's nothing I can do to not hurt. Breathing hurt. And then the next day, same thing. I couldn't sleep. I get up in the morning. I'm just hurting, hurting. Just I, that's all I could think about was my pain. Like I'm. Just, I can't breathe. I can't talk well. I can't move. I can't do anything. I can't sit still and it not hurt. And so I decide, well, I'm hurting anyway. I might as well go to class. And if I go to class, maybe I'll be distracted from from my pain. And so I go to class. I don't know if you've ever hurt this much, but if you hurt enough. All, you'll just start sweating over your entire body. That's what happened to me. I'm sitting there in class. I'm in so much pain that it's like every pore in my body just starts sweating. And then I sweated so much, I left a puddle of sweat underneath the desk when I got up at the end of the hour. And I'm like, well, I can't do this anymore. It was terrible. And then I remembered there was like a chiropractor a, a block away. I'd never, never hardly even knew what a chiropractor was. I get myself in my car, drive over there. It's closed. I bang on the door because I see a car there and I'm desperate. The guy comes. He's actually the doctor. And he answers the door and he's like, I'm like, I messed up my back. And he's like, all right, come on in. And then he walks me to a table that's upright and then he flips me down and then does a few things to me, and all of a sudden I can breathe. I mean, it's still like it's sore, but it's like the intense pain gone. I'm a sweaty mess, but it's like, whoa, I feel better. You know, Job is experiencing this level of pain from his head to his feet, and it just goes on and on. And and. When you feel, sometimes you're just totally distracted by your pain. You can't think about anything except for your pain. You're just wanting relief from your pain. That's what Job's going through. And God allows Job's faith to be tested to its innermost core. And we think about the emotional pain that Job went through. I mean, he lost everything, lost his, his children. And now his health is gone, and what that would have been. But I think there's also a spiritual aspect to his pain. Because that, I think, is kind of what happens to us. When we follow God, and we go through pain like that, you know, we start wondering, God, why is this happening? What, what's going on? What, how can this be? When's this going to end? When will this be over? You know, we, and then it becomes, it's not just about our pain anymore. It's, it starts kind of impacting our relationship with God. Now, for me, because I have not experienced the pain that many of you have experienced. The pain I've experienced in my life, it sort of drives me to God. But I think for some people, or maybe if the pain is more intense, I don't know. For some people, it can drive people away from God. There's a spiritual dynamic to the suffering 
that Job is going through. He feels abandoned by God. That's how people feel. God has left me. God's abandoned me. God's not with me anymore. God doesn't care. But that is never true. If you're a believer, Scripture says God will never leave you, never forsake you. He will always be there for you. No matter what you go through, he's not leaving. He's never abandoning you. Scripture tells us that. God cares. And then what Job cannot possibly understand is that God is using this suffering for his purposes. One of which is just to help us today. And then Job, after going all this, now his health has failed. He's suffering in his body, and then things get even worse. Next thing we know in the story is Job has a wife, which we kind of figured out, but she shows up in the story, and, and then we're, oh, Job's wife, his loving, caring, sensitive, helping, encouraging wife. And then the next verse tells us, what she says, she says, and then his wife said to him, verse 9, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Which is not the most uplifting of advice. And before we're too hard on her, we remember she's suffered too. A lot of what Job has gone through, not his physical suffering, but she lost her ten children. And I, and I don't know if she was a follower of God. We assume so. But if she had faith in God, that faith is buckled. And she's throwing in the towel. And she's saying to Job, strike out at God. It's over. Forget it. Strike, you know, curse God and die. And then we have a little insight of the cunningness of Satan that, oh, maybe there's a reason that the wife didn't die when the rest of the family did, and that's maybe because Satan knew that he could use her against him. And things get even worse for Job. But Job responds by doing something that we should all do when we suffer. And this is kind of the main point. Job does what we should all do when we suffer and we don't understand. When you experience suffering, when you're suffering, trust God even when you don't understand. Trust God even when you don't understand what's going on. Trust God even when you have questions, even when you don't have the answers. Trust God. That's how we should all respond. And that's what Job does. He rebukes his wife, and he kind of shows how he's totally bought in to God's will for his life. Here in verse 10, the next verse, But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. I think some people read that and all this, Job didn't say, man, he must have been out of some really bad thoughts. He just didn't say it. That's, that's really not what's in here. 
Job didn't, because by the way, if he did have those thoughts and he lied about it, he'd be sinning with his lips. This is just saying, Job kept his integrity. Job kept his, he kept trusting God even in the worst of times. He expresses his trust in God regardless of the circumstance. He completely buys in to God's sovereignty and he just keeps trusting God. Which, by the way, when you're suffering like that and you can completely keep trusting God, that is a sure sign of true faith in the hard times. Because every temptation, every trial, every time we suffer, along with suffering comes the temptation to turn away from God. But it also brings an opportunity where we can trust God in the hardest, most difficult times in our life. And when we do that, we demonstrate our faith to people all around us. We demonstrate the depth of our faith to a world who's wondering about God all around us. And so how to, how to respond when we suffer? What do we do? Lay it out for me, Kevin. We're, I'm suffering. When we suffer, suffer's coming. How do we respond? Well, first is just that. Trust God even when you don't understand why. Trust God even when you don't understand what's happening. Even when you have questions. And then this. Remember, because we can already see this in Job. Remember that when we suffer, when we experience trials and difficulties, when we go through that, or even Satan's attacks, when we go through those hard times, God can use them for his purposes. God can use them not just for his purposes. God has a way of using them even for our benefit. Now, we don't always see that. But we can trust that. That's the second thing. And then the third thing is, remember, there's nothing wrong with asking why. We can ask God, why, God, why, as long as we don't demand an answer. Because demanding an answer is us not trusting. Trust God. And then one last thing, fourth thing, when we suffer. When we suffer, we cry out to God. It's interesting to me because we cry out to God as if God has never suffered. But God has suffered. God has suffered for me and he's suffered for each one of you. You see, people ask the question, well, how can a, a good a good God who loves us, if he's all-powerful, if he's good, if he's powerful, if he can do anything, and he's good and he loves us, well, then how can innocent people suffer? Well, it's all wrapped up in this. God is good and righteous, and God created us, 
And he created us in his image. He created us with the, that we would have the ability to know right and wrong. Unfortunately, with the freedom that he gave us, which freedom was a good thing, we have all misused our freedom to sin and rebel against God and violate his righteous standards and do things that are wrong. And because we did that, that ushered sin in the world. And because we do that now, that means that we all righteously, accurately, correctly stand condemned for our wrong behavior. Because if we weren't punished for that, if we didn't stand condemned, then God would not be righteous and good. It would violate his own character. And so we all stand condemned to be punished for our wrongs. And we all have them. Even Job. In the book of Job. As we go through the rest of the book, you're going to see that Job, even though he's called a blameless and upright man, he's not saying he's sinless. He makes his case against God, but it's never that he's sinless. Nobody else thinks Job's sinless either. They're just saying he doesn't deserve all this. And we're not sinless. And we deserve separation from God Forever, condemnation. But God is not only holy and good, God is also loving, and because of that, God made a way. He allowed his one and only son to come to earth, clothe himself in humanity, and voluntarily allow himself to be tortured to death on the cross, to allow his own creation to inflict pain to torture him, to kill him, and while they did it, to mock him, spit in his face. And because of that, if any of us would admit our sin and see Jesus for who he is and what he did for us, that he took our place. He was our substitute. He paid our sin penalty. He did that in love for us. If you'll admit your sin and put your trust totally in Jesus and only Jesus, as opposed to you think you're pretty good, you think you're pretty jobish, and so you think you deserve to be good with God. No, we've all sinned, and ultimately we have to pay for that sin. Christ paid it for us if we acknowledge our sin and acknowledge him and it's only him that pays for our sin then we can have a relationship with God forever that's the gospel the good news that's the most important thing you can ever hear if you if you're still wondering about it, have questions about that we'd love to talk to you after after our service in the room but back to the story whatever comes into your life God knows He's either created it or allowed it, and he loves you, and he died for you, that God. And so that's how we respond to suffering. Well, how do we respond when other people suffer? Sometimes it's harder to see somebody you love suffer than it is to suffer yourself. Well, we learned that from this chapter in Job as well. You see, Job's friends show up. Job 
is sort of a guy who's well-known throughout all these regions and different countries. And some nearby countries, he has three friends. They hear about Job's suffering, so they decide, hey, we're going to come together. We're going to meet, and then we're going to go to Job together and try to comfort him during his suffering. Is kind of their plan. And although they plan to do this, they're really not prepared for what they see. Because when they first see Job, they don't even recognize him. He suffered so much. And then, you know, their heart goes out to him and they sort of share in his pain. And this is how it goes, starting in verse 11, where we left off. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, they came, each one from his own place, Elipaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, here we're introduced to apparently the shortest man in the Bible because he's only Shuhite. But anyway, all right. Lost my page. And Zophar, the Namathite, and they made an appointment together to come to sympathize with him and comfort him. When they lifted up their eyes at a distance, they didn't recognize him. They raised their voices and wept. Each one of them tore his robes and they threw dust over their heads toward the sky. Then they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights with no one speaking a word to him. For they saw that his pain was very great. You see, they show up to try to help Job in his sorrow. And how do we help somebody when we see them suffering? Well, the first thing is just that. We show up. We be there for them. We go to them. We, we just empathize. We, we come to them just to let them know, hey, I love you. I care for you. I'm here for you. You don't have to say a bunch of things. You don't have to try to answer every question. You don't give them advice. You're just there for them. That's what we learn. That's the good part of what happened here. They come and they share life with him. It kind of reminds me, like three weeks ago, the president of the United States went to the Clyde Whirlpool plant. Clyde's a small town. Here the president of the United States goes and so, you know, while all this was happening, I'm thinking, because I know a lot of people that work at Whirlpool, I'm like, man, I'm proud of these people. It doesn't matter who the president is or if he's Democrat or Republican. The president of the United States shows up at Whirlpool. I'm like, wow. I'm proud of the workers at Whirlpool. They're, you know, in a global economy. They're knocking it out of the park manufacturing-wise. I'm like, Wow. And because they were honored, it's like the whole town and the whole community was honored because of their hard work. Scripture's telling us that's how it's supposed to be in the church. When good things happen, we rejoice with people. When our fellow churchmen, good things happen, we rejoice with them. And when bad things happen, we come to them personally to be with them. Paul describes that to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, he says, hey, if one member suffers, he's talking about all of us coming together as a church body, 
We're all different and we make up one body. He says, if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. You see, we're called as believers to personally stand up and help each other. Stand with each other. Be there. And second, probably, when somebody's experiencing deep suffering, it's not the time to charge in with advice. Well, you know why this happened, don't you? Well, you know probably what's going on, right? You know, if you would have only, yeah, don't do that. We're going to see a whole bunch of that coming up, but don't do that. See the picture. Job scraping off pus-filled boils. His three friends meet together from three different countries. They come to approach him together. They've planned this out. They see him at a distance. They don't even recognize him. They start going into deep grief. They go with him to the trash dump. They sit down with him. They throw dust into the air, which is just an ancient way of, of showing grief. And they sit with him for seven days and seven nights without saying a word. In the meantime, the whole village is showing up during the day to see what's happening with all the big wheels around. And they're all kind of standing on the outskirts, wondering what's going to happen. And then after seven days... And nobody says a word. The friends don't say out a, a word out of respect for Job. And then after seven days, like a thunderclap, Job speaks. What will he say? How are they going to respond to it? We'll find out next week. Because it's interesting how that goes. But before next week, three things I want you to remember. First of all, if you don't have that relationship with God that I'm talking about, if you've never come to a point in your life where you've recognized that you've offended God, you've done wrong, that you're a sinner like the rest of us, and that God not just loves you, loves you with action, loves you with suffering to, to pay your penalty, to be your substitute, if you, don't, if you don't have that down, if your trust is not in Christ and Christ alone, what he did for you on the cross, then we would love to ask, you know, answer any question that you might want to ask in room one just in a couple minutes as we close. After we close, love to talk to you. Secondly, if you're a believer, when you're going through suffering and, and it's coming, if you're not in it now, it's coming. And you don't understand why, and it makes no sense. Trust God anyway. Trust God anyway. And if you know somebody who's suffering, third, if you know someone's suffering, just be there for them. Just show up for them. I'm going to have Tim and his team come, and they're going to close us out with a reprise of, of the song we've done earlier. But right now, I'd like you to stand, and I'm going to lead us in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness 
And Lord, we thank you that you loved us so much that you were willing to suffer and your son. That you were willing to let him come and he was willing to do it. To pay our price, to be our substitute, that greatest gift. God, we thank you for that. And Father, if there's anybody here who doesn't have a firm grip on trusting in Christ alone, Lord, we pray that you would draw them to yourself and help them know you and help us to help them to know you. And Father, we know that we live in a world where we have unleashed evil through our own choices. Uh, The whole world's been infected with sin. And so now there's disease and suffering and all these issues that you never created, but you allow them because to get rid of them would be getting rid of all of us. God, we thank you for loving us. Lord, help us keep our eyes focused on you and help us, Lord, that when we suffer, that we would trust you. And when we question through it all, we would trust you no matter what. Because, Lord, we know that no matter what we go through, we need you. We need you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.